This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. We're always looking for new ideas and topics from our listeners, so please reach out, share your ideas. You can email us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com or connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and you can find links to all that in the show notes. Now, on to this week's episode. Quite honestly, that's probably the most enjoyable part of this whole update process is working with a team of experts from many different disciplines and coming together and pressure testing our hypotheses, looking at the historic data trends together to be able to assimilate what are our key forecasts for the future, what are our predictions, and grounding it in data. So there's a lot of debate that goes on. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Durin. And this week's episode, I get to talk to Dr. Maddie McNell, who is SG2's medical director and leads our annual forecast development for our flagship analytic that so many of our members know us for, the Impact of Change Forecast. Maddie's also released a webinar, which goes into much more depth. Obviously, there's slides behind it to show the detail behind the numbers in the forecast. But for today, we're going to talk about more of the stories and the trends driving some of those biggest changes within our forecast. I'm really excited for it. So, Maddie, thanks for joining. Yes, pleasure to be here, Trevor. For SG2, forecasting is as core to what we do as it is to our members' strategy teams. And this year, the process was different for us and for our members and how they're doing long-term planning. So, Manny, how was the process different in terms of we had different data from the last year? We had short-term trends that were unpredictable and unforecastable. How did you take all that as a backdrop and try to build our 10-year forecast on top of that? The background is that we did have to spend some significant amount of time understanding what had just happened during COVID. We really needed to spend more time than we've ever had to on the short-term recovery and volumes. What was 2021 going to look like? What we learned quickly as we were going through the update is that we needed to use a 2019 baseline year for the forecast and not advance it to 2020 or 21. With forecasting, if you try to do growth projections off of a very unusual aberrant year, the baseline volumes are very unstable, your growth projections and the patterns look very strange and it's very difficult to interpret. Um, This is across all industries, not just healthcare. We had to quickly revert back to our 2019 baseline. We needed to forecast the past. We needed to forecast 2020 and the beginning of 2021. But the great news was we had a lot more visibility into recent historical utilization trends. Never before had we been able to get ambulatory utilization data month over month that was as recent as three months old. We were able to do this through a partnership with Strata. They use our care grouper on their utilization data, and they shared that data with us quarterly. We also have our own data set, the CDB, where they pivoted during COVID to really be able to quickly turn out what was happening in terms of utilization trends with their members. This really helped us understand what was happening in April and May of 2020, and then what was happening over the course of the rest of the year and even into early 2021, which really helped inform us on the recovery pace, what services were recovering faster, what conditions and services seemed to come back to the hospital sooner, and frankly, what services did not come back. So the access to the recent historic utilization trends really enabled a clearer view of the pandemic and what the recovery trajectory looked like. That doesn't sound that dissimilar from the same work that our members did. They got way better short-term data and reporting tools 
they had to over the last year. But then how do you balance that new short-term data and the ability to build short-term trends off of it with the need to continue to develop longer-term forecasting? We're seeing that change a lot. Hospitals are focused on the short term right now, understandably so, as there are so many dynamic changes on the horizon for the next three years. They want to know the recovery timing, what exactly that looks like by service, and how do we plan for this year and the next year? In addition to COVID, there's some other dynamic changes happening. The biggest ones is surgical shifts to the ambulatory surgery centers. As we see private equity activity pick up and CMS relax the requirements that hospitals need to perform a surgery at a specific site of care. So as we see all that happening, that's another short-term strategy and planning effort that is very challenging for organizations. So it's not just COVID. And this short-term lens is going to be really important for planning from here on out. The other one is addressing short-term demands for long haulers. Do we set up a clinic? What does that involve? But at the same time, as you point out, long-term changes and long-term strategy and planning is really needed for organizations if they're going to meet the increased demand for chronic disease, for example, if they're going to be able to address some of the drivers of rising chronic disease, such as social determinants of health. How do we do this from a financial standpoint? What does our payment model and our contracting need to look like? Our forecast shows the impact of this over time and across settings, and and there's a lot of long-term implications in terms of utilization trends and what hospitals need to be planning for that need to be equally weighed and that are also influenced by the short-term changes that we're seeing today. I'm going to go into detail on a couple specific sites where members have been asking us a lot of questions because of those short-term changes that we saw. And the first one is the ED. Social distancing, without a doubt, led to a decrease in infectious disease this year. And that's great, but that's historically been a driver of ED volumes. Combine that with the fact that consumers never really liked sitting in an ED waiting room. And now, especially during surges, it seemed increasingly unsafe. And so it led to an understandable decline in ED volumes. The pace of that bounce back is a question that we get all the time. What's our forecast for the future of the ED? We are projecting over the course of the decade that the ED will never recover to 2019 pre-pandemic levels. I want to back up and say, yes, a large part of the reason ED volumes were down during 2020 was because of infectious disease volumes across the board being down. Social distancing not only blunted the curve for COVID, but it reduced the transmission of common infections like flu, and bronchitis, gastroenteritis, strep throat. PEDS ED volumes were hit the hardest because of this being such a mainstay volume and reason for coming into the ED. But it's also important to mention that the pre-pandemic trend in lower acuity ED visits shifting out of the ED to urgent cares, physician offices, sometimes even virtual, that was prior to COVID. And we were seeing that in the American Hospital Association data, we saw ED volumes decline minus 1% overall total nationally for the very first time. And this was in 2018. And that was because of this ship. A lot of it was commercial payers. Um, There was payer steerage. There was consumer reticence around deductibles and cost sharing for this very expensive site of care. We're going to continue to see that accelerated during COVID because of consumer reticence and the decline in infectious disease volumes. But patients did find alternative care sites to be very convenient, lower cost. And so we're expecting that those lower acuity visits are going to decline over the decade about 15%. At the same time, we have a challenge in our country with an aging population and a rise in chronic disease. And that will push some of the limits of an ED shift to lower cost settings. So we're going to see those 
higher acuity ED visits grow a bit. We're projecting nationally about 5%. It's really important, though, to note that healthcare is local, and we will see this play out differently by hospital type and in different markets. So if you're an academic medical center or tertiary care referral center, your ED volumes may stay high because you're getting higher acuity patients that are being transferred in, and you're not going to see that shift to the urgent care as much. In addition, markets that have significantly higher growing aging population are also going to see some increased demand in that Medicare population for ED. At SG2, we forecast healthcare trends nationally, but we also provide a localized market forecast. And for this reason, you know, the hospitals around the country that receive this forecast get a more customized, localized view of what's happening in their ED based on their population growth, their case mix, and other hyper-localized trends that we uh, forecast. Another site that we've been getting a lot of questions about and that we knew was kind of never going to be the same, and that's skilled nursing in the post-acute landscape. How are we forecasting shifts across sites of care in post-acute? Senior care has really been profoundly reshaped by the pandemic. We saw skilled nursing facilities volumes decline significantly in 2020 for safety concerns with the challenges of COVID as well. So nationally, volumes were down at SNFs. What happened was there were some experimentation and pilots around how to manage patients outside of the SNF. So sniff at home, like hospital at home, was developed during this time to address those safety concerns. And what this is, is it's providing increased level of care in the home for patients that need it using remote monitoring or home provider visits, both nurse and even physician, virtual visits as well. What they discovered through hospital at home and sniff at home is that providers could do this and that patients and their families really like this model. Very high patient satisfaction scores, which is interesting because you could see the opposite where families felt overburdened or stressed by this idea of taking care at home. But that was not the case overall. We expect to see sniff to decline over the decade. So it went down in 2020 and we expect it never to fully rebound. We're projecting a minus 5% decline in sniff at the end of the decade. And that's in spite of of a rising elderly population that should be driving demand here. And that's because of these new innovative care models in terms of you know, home remote monitoring and new virtual ways to manage these patients. We get a lot of questions from hospital members about home services and investment in home care. And we really believe that this will grow for two main reasons. The first is expanded capabilities in remote monitoring and remote diagnostics. And the second is new payment for these services. This is still a barrier now to adoption. We've seen hospital at home paid for in Medicare Advantage pilots, but we expect by the end of the decade payment to be in place across the board. But still, there needs to be more time, more experimentation, more understanding of the true costs of this program. Yeah, that's helpful. Thanks. It's an area where it's easy to project big shifts. I think we're projecting modest shifts driven by these forces. That makes a lot of sense. Every year that we build this forecast, right, there's no shortage of new trends, new research. This year's no exception. What were some of the non-COVID drivers of the biggest changes in our forecast this year? One of the areas that's always changing is the adoption of clinical innovation and new technologies. So those are built into our forecast across service lane. There's dozens and dozens of clinical innovations that are going to change how and where we care for patients. I can name a few, but feel free to call out a service line and I can give you some examples. One of the ones we talked about in the webinar was FFR CT scanning. So this is enhanced CT scan imaging that allows for the diagnosis of coronary artery disease. 
And this will increasingly be used in replacement of a minimally invasive diagnostic cath procedure. So that's a pretty exciting enhancement to diagnosing coronary artery disease in our elderly population. Another area in imaging is the acquisition now of portable MRIs and portable CT scans. The price point has come down significantly. So these are going to be affordable for physician practices. We're going to see them within the hospital. They can be wheeled into an ICU for a patient, but also outside of the hospital at physician offices, urgent care clinics, CT scanners for ambulances for being able to diagnose ischemic stroke, for example. So it will change where patients can perceive this advanced imaging. It may be earlier in the course of their illness or symptoms, and perhaps you'll be getting multiple scans over time, like for stroke, to do time-based monitoring. Lots of changes there. Any specific service lines you'd like to hear about? I've heard a little bit about an anti-obesity medication that may get FDA approval. That kind of seems like a biggie that'll hit a lot of service lines. This is very exciting. The GLP-1 receptor agonists are showing significant promise in reducing weight, and they do not seem to have the severe side effects that other drugs in this area have in the past. The name that you may hear of is semaglutide. This has been approved for type 2 diabetes, and it is going for FDA approval this fall for weight loss. We've seen in studies that are reported in the New England Journal of Medicine that 50% of patients Patients lost more than 15% of their body weight. At higher doses of this drug, it acts on the brain centers to suppress appetite. So it does show significant promise for real moderate weight loss, not just five to 10 pounds, but you know, we're seeing 30 to 40 pound weight loss for patients, which can have a significant impact on reducing those downstream chronic diseases like diabetes, hypertension. Yeah, that's really exciting. All right. So one thing that I know our listeners will really want to hear is a little bit of the behind the scenes, a little bit of a glimpse into the SG2 Sausage Factory. You have such a great team of our colleagues that you get to work with to develop the forecast. But I know that there's some really tough debates every year. What were some of the big debates this year? Quite honestly, that's probably the most enjoyable part of this whole update process is working with a team of experts from many different disciplines and coming together and pressure testing our hypotheses, looking at the historic data trends together to be able to assimilate what are our key forecasts for the future, what are our predictions, and grounding it in data. So there's a lot of debate that goes on. Some of the big areas of debate that always come up are around human behavior. That's one one of the most difficult and challenging to predict. Specifically, one of the questions we had to ask ourselves is, will some of the social distancing guideline lessons learned during the COVID-19 pandemic, will they remain? How will our society be forever changed in terms of social distancing, like mask wearing or removal of waiting rooms? Or will we go back to our old ways? And this has an implication in terms of our forecast because we need to be able to project what will happen for example, with flu volumes. And the likely answer is that we will go back to our old ways for more than we think we will, but there will be some small populations that will wear masks at certain times, and there will be some infection control measures in place that will modestly reduce infection spread and flu admissions over the years. What about even the ability to make a better flu vaccine? 
Yeah. Will the breakthroughs in mRNA technology allow us to finally develop an effective flu vaccine? There shows promise that this new technology could make a flu vaccine that's greater than 90% effective. We've never had anything like that before. That would be tremendously beneficial. The other potential for this powerful technology is that some of those infections that have been very elusive and challenging to make vaccines for, scientists believe the mRNA technology could solve for that. RSV, for 20 years, they've been going through phase one, phase two, even phase three clinical trials, and then not able to develop a stable vaccine. HIV is another area that a vaccine could be very exciting for. And the mRNA technology does show promise for solving for both of those. Another really challenging area is to predict what will happen in our country in terms of addressing health inequity and other areas like behavioral health and chronic disease that our current healthcare financial structure does not directly support. And so really trying to understand, are we going to be able to tackle these really tough issues? And if so, how the drivers of that are going to have to be payment and policy. And so how much will we, we likely see in the next three, five, 10 years? That can be a challenging one to truly be able to predict accurately, likely because these are such monumental problems and we do have Medicare solvency issues. We're betting on the side that we're likely going to make fewer gains in this area than perhaps we'd hope for. Maddie, thanks as always for giving us a glimpse into the SG2 war room, sharing with me and sharing with our listeners the process and some of the biggest inputs this year in developing our forecast. Great to be here. Thank you, Trevor. This has been another episode of SG2 Perspectives. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and don't forget to rate and review. We'd love to hear from you. Please connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter at SG2 Healthcare. You can also reach us via email at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Reach out and let us know what healthcare trends are most important to you. Please also listen and subscribe to our colleague, Dr. Tom Villanueva's Modern Practice Podcast, on Vizian's Medical Leadership Channel. Tom discusses key healthcare trends through the clinical leadership lens. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.